0: Welcome to my podcast, Midlife with Courage, where my goal is to inspire you, a woman who wants to step outside of her comfort zone and live an amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy. I'll share my experiences, stories, and interviews with other amazing women that are meant to help you take those first steps towards something fantastic. So let's not wait another minute to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Midlife with Courage. I'm Kim Benoit, your host, and I'm so happy that you're here. I'm also happy to have my guest here today. Her name is Dr. Susan Landers. Welcome, Dr. Landers, Susan, to the show. Oh,
1: thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here talking with you.
0: I'm so excited to um, jump into your story here, but you are a retired neonatologist from Austin, Texas.
1: Yes, yes. I retired about five years ago after 34 years of practicing in the NICU.
0: Wow, wow. I don't know if I have shared this with you, but I used to work in OB. I'm a, was a I'm a retired nurse now, but I loved working in OB and with the babies. And we didn't have the NICU, but we had, you know, some of our babies were sent to the NICU. And I always right. right. Nurses will understand this, and probably you will too. Like when I had to start an IV and those little tiny babies, and I got it in on the first <laughs> try, I was always so happy. But
1: right, um, they're very challenging technically. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah.
0: And it's a, a wonderful out.
1: field. You know, I like labor and delivery too. Mm-hmm. I just chose um, NICU because it was more mother baby together, mm. and I it, it seemed to suit my need for intensive care more than obstetrics did. Sure, I like them both. So
0: congratulations on such a long career there.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So let's talk about why you're on the podcast today. Um, We wanted to talk a little bit about, well, first of all, maybe tell us a little bit about your family too and where you live and um, then we'll jump into your story.
1: I started out, uh, I grew up in South Carolina and went to medical school there, but then went to Dallas for training and Houston for more training and I met my husband there, and we had all three kids in Houston. We both worked at Texas Children's Hospital, and he was a pediatric nephrologist, and I was practicing neonatology, so I felt like things were rocking along pretty well Uh, as a full-time doctor and a working mother, and I had three kids, and uh, My husband was offered a new job in a med school with a promotion and a raise, but my job was just okay. Um, We decided to move to this new city. I scouted out a new home and new school for the kids. I hired a nanny and I took a couple of months off to get everybody moved and situated. And when I went to work, my schedule was absolutely horrible. I was still nursing my third baby. I had just turned 40 years old. I had put the older two kids in school, and the nanny was going to help me with the baby when I was at work. But my work schedule was a lot harder than I had been promised. And I became depressed 12 months after the birth of my third child. I don't know if it was really postpartum depression or if it was just too much of life events and major stressors piling on. And I kept working. And I remember talking with a friend at lunch and I said, I'm just always in the worst mood. My husband is having such a good time. I'm just miserable. I'm working so hard. And when I'm at home, I'm trying to see my kids. The new nanny is working out fine. The kids are happy in school. I'm still nursing. I I nursed my third one until she was 12 months old. But I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to eat. I was so unhappy with my job. And she said, maybe you're depressed. I didn't think I was depressed. I didn't know what was wrong with me, other than I was really unhappy. She recommended that I go talk to a psychiatrist. And I said, well, I'm willing to do anything to feel better. And I did talk to a good psychiatrist. He, he asked me to explain <clears throat> what my situation was like. And I said, I love this story. I said, you know, that guy that's on the stage at Ed Sullivan and he's running around the stage twirling sticks and spinning plates. And he keeps putting up more plates and spinning them. And he runs around and he'll run back over and twirl a stick to keep a plate from wobbling. And his job is to get as many plates spinning as possible. And I felt like the guy on the stage running around, keeping on my plate spinning. And he looked at me and he chuckled. He actually laughed. He said, why don't you take down some plates? And that was, yeah, it is funny. That was my 40-year-old epiphany, my midlife crisis moment where I began to figure out that I could not do all the things that I thought I was capable of doing. And I love to tell this story because it's so insidious. If you're a career mom, if you're any kind of working mom, if you're any kind of busy mom, things just pile on and pile on. And we think that we can handle whatever it is that our life throws at us. But there's some things that might tip us over the edge, I was resenting my husband because he was having a better time than me. So my marriage was out of whack. I tried to act like, uh, you know, every other mom at school and be there for the plays and be there for the teacher conferences. and rush out of the NICU and make it to school on time to pick them up on certain days. And then there was the baby. And so it was just, oh, and not to mention my work, my clinical research and my writing papers and my giving talks. I was still in academic medicine then. And everything felt like a burden. My children didn't feel like a burden but my work really felt like a burden. I had left Houston and all my friends, so my social support was gone. I only made one good friend the first year we were in this new city. Um, My husband and I weren't very happy. I did enjoy getting to know the teachers at my kids' school, and I did eventually meet some other women who were who had children at the school. And I made friends at the hospital, but not as quickly as I had expected. And so all of this was really new for me. It threw me into a space where I was really uncomfortable and I had never not succeeded before. I had never been unable to handle everything that was thrown at me, at least kind of muddle through. But in this particular situation, I was really affected. I guess I was really depressed. Postpartum depression can occur as late as one year after after delivery. And I suspect mine was hastened by the other changes in my life. And I like to talk about this episode because I think other working mothers go through periods like this where everything is okay and you're dealing with all the spinning plates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a project at work or a child with a problem or a husband with an issue or a parent that needs help or a sibling that needs help. And it's a It's another spinning plate that you can barely balance. And then the other spinning plates start wobbling. And so the spinning plate analogy helps me to talk about it with others because we literally have to identify which plates we want to spin, which plates are the most important to us. And you know the other thing I learned, Kim, during that period was that I did not put a plate up to spin. That was me. The psychiatrist also said, "What about you? Where are you in all of this?" I said, "I'm nowhere. You know, I'm in the bottom of my list." And he said, "Well, what are you going to do about that?" I said, "I don't know. I've always been at the bottom of my list." And he said, "Why don't you try putting yourself on a plate and spin it?" and take down a couple of others and you know I started exercising I took a yoga class with my friend she also had two little kids and my husband and I started going out on date nights and I did some other things that really helped me but the notion that I think is so crucial about my midlife uh, disaster was learning that I couldn't handle everything, first and foremost, and learning that I had to take care of myself. Those two were the big things that I learned in my midlife.
0: Wonderful. Yes. Um, I love that analogy of the plates because to me personally, when I have all these things going on, it does it feels frantic like that those plates are like oh my gosh oh here no here there, go there go there like it's just so frantic and you can only handle that for so long and right. they just they're going to come crashing down you know
1: exactly That's um, exactly yeah like a lot of us feel that way and it's not until they crash that we go how did I let this happen
0: <laughs> yeah and then it's our fault like we did some or we let people down or we you know it's like no no no
1: no it's just too much it's just too much and sometimes it's really hard to say to yourself I cannot humanly do this and that's why I think the spinning plate analogy because each of your priorities is a spinning plate and you've got to make sure your plate is up there and then you've got to actually choose which other plates you're going to attend to or they'll start wobbling and crash too you're right
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and I like how that you said it was kind of insidious because we don't we're so busy in it that we don't realize it at first mm-hmm. and it does that, it and it comes in and here you are the nature
1: the nature of that being insidious was one of the most interesting things to me <clears throat> and as I look back you know people list major life stressors job change child, divorce, moving, you know, there's a the whole list of them. I had like a new baby. I had probably five or six major life stressors going on and didn't even think, well, I ought to be really careful during this period. I might be a little fragile. I thought I had convinced myself from my previous seven years that I could handle whatever life threw at me. And it wasn't until I couldn't that I learned to stop and take notice and make choices.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that part of it is because we have that attitude or we can, we can do it all that we're in the healthcare profession too? Do you think that plays into it much?
1: I do think that healthcare providers tend to be a little more um, perfectionistic, looking out for others. Uh, maybe sacrificing their own self for caring for others. We really get, we learn that early in our training, Mm -hmm. uh, especially nurses and doctors. And we think that we're supposed to be taking care of everybody else but ourselves, when in fact, it's a hard lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I think healthcare providers are a little more susceptible to this. I was reading an article about nurse managers and charge nurses being more susceptible to burnout because they care about their coworkers, they want to make sure everybody on their team is doing okay. They want to try to give their team members the flexible schedules that they're asking for. And they really value helping their people. And so if you're a manager or the boss or the team leader, you're actually making yourself even higher risk for burnout.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, um, now you do help other physicians, kind of talk about that and work with that a little bit. Yeah.
1: Tell <laughs> us about that a little. Yeah, I have been giving presentations on physician burnout uh, in, around the state of Texas. I have been giving webinars about burnout and nurses to two groups of nurse practitioners. And I support working mothers in my social media posts and on my blogs. I, <clears throat> I don't wanna do you know, a, a full-time career of this, but I love talking about it and practicing what's called generativity. Generativity is when older people try to teach younger generations how to do things maybe a little bit better or avoid mistakes. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and physician and nurse burnout is really, really prevalent right now. The pandemic challenged people so much. We all worked too many shifts. Uh, We all did extra work. We had conflicts over vaccinations, conflicts over who, who was getting care, what beds were available. It was just an awful, awful time for healthcare providers And then for those parents who had to stay at home, they were stressed by having kids at home, not in school, having to remotely teach their children, having to do their job with kids all around. And so whether we were in the hospital or in the office or whether we were at home, everybody got a little extra stress during the pandemic. And so talking about working mom burnout and nurse burnout and doctor burnout is important for people who are now trying to kind of take a breath and make sense of what they've been through it takes a while i think to recognize burnout when you have it mm-hmm. i don't know if you've experienced it I have
0: yeah 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 and it does it's it's almost like other people have to tell you "There, hey there's something going on here you know and then you kind of go oh yeah that's probably what's going on (laughs) oh yeah
1: yeah exactly I was sharing the care of a really difficult baby who had severe brain injury and the father wanted to do a full court press and The doctors and nurses wanted to start pulling back and give comfort care. And I was just so short with that dad. I I don't know why this was when I was much older and and tired and working a lot of hours. And one of my partners came up to me one day and he said, you don't really seem like yourself. Is something wrong? And I said, maybe this case is really bothering me a lot. And he said, have you lost your compassion? And I went, oh, wow. Um, Maybe I had, you know, I was physically exhausted. I was emotionally overwhelmed by that one case. I was trying to kind of distance myself from the parents and from the staff who had opinions about what was the right thing to do. And then the worst thing happened. I felt like I was no longer making a difference. That was the big red flag for healthcare provider burnout. I was going through the motions and feeling like I was not accomplishing anything. And if my partner had not come up to me and asked, are you okay? You don't seem like yourself. I don't know if I would have put all the pieces together to figure out that I actually was burned out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big thing. And I, I, yeah, we need our partners and our friends to point that out to us sometimes. I love the term generativity. I love that because that's kind of what I'm doing a little bit too with the podcast is trying to reach younger women and let them know that, you know, midlife isn't the end of the, the end. You know, there's a lot of time left and a lot of things that you should, you want to do and just do it. But um, so tell, tell us how you help young mothers balance the work life and the, the mom, the mom life?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to teach about that. I'm trying to teach young mothers how to identify when they have burnout or when they're overstressed and the things that they can learn to do to take care of themselves <clears throat> and not get to a point of desperation. The other thing I wanted to mention, since we're talking about midlife, Mm -hmm. is the good thing about midlife i think in your 40s you are finally aware of who you are what you're up to what you're capable of and truly what are your values and I, I don't think women get that in their thirties. I think they're still kind of struggling. Uh, you know, we don't even get a really good brain until our late twenties. And then in our thirties, we're trying to figure it out. But in your forties, I think most women have a great sense of who they are. And maybe it's the result of an event, like what happened to me. Maybe it's just this awareness that, wow, I'm in my forties now. Um, I'm, really a full-fledged, accomplished adult, a mom, a spouse, or a partner. I have a job or a career that I like, hopefully, or dealing with it if you don't like it. And so I like to talk about that midlife allows us to take stock and to assess where we are and for some of us to make changes so that we don't go off the rails like I did. Um, So there are good things about being in our 40s. Back to things that I like to talk to working moms about. Um, When I was burned out, I mentioned that I had to learn to take care of myself. Exercise was my main way of doing that when I was younger I was a runner and in my 40s and 50s I switched to the gym instead of the track or (laughs) the road Um, but I also started using other techniques like journaling which is a wonderful way to engage your right brain kind of tunes out your left brain and all the logical worries that you think about. And I discovered that journaling was a great way to relieve stress. I discovered that yoga was also a great way to relieve stress. For me, running, especially outside of nature, was my main way to think creatively, to kind of get outside of myself, to... Clear my mind. The other thing I learned later in life, well into my 40s, was how important my friendships were. Mm -hmm. If, you know, when I mentioned when I left Houston, I left behind my supportive friends that we had all had babies together and got married and and became new moms. And so I learned in my 40s that having my friends, taking care of my friendships, meeting with friends, talking with friends, getting the support that we gave each other kind of, you know, shored up was so important. I never have been a real chatty or social person, but I found out that I really needed to unload with somebody else and let somebody else unload on me. And we're not therapists for each other, but we sure do buffer a lot of the ups and downs. And I think it's crucial that women today remember that the support of their friend group, their whatever, whoever they're closest to, whether it's siblings or friends or family members or neighbors, those people are there to provide connection. And connection and being a working mom is what it's all about because our husbands don't feel the way we feel men just aren't driven to be what we seem to be driven to be as working mothers i think you know my favorite story is my 3 year old son with a fever and my husband putting on his white lab coat and heading towards the front door and I'm madly calling the pediatrician for an appointment and madly calling the hospital to change my schedule. And, and I looked at him and said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to work. I said, what about me? Aren't you going to help me? I got to take care of this. He said, you, you always handle it. You'll take care of it. I don't need to help you. And he walked out the door. (laughs) And so, and I've met a lot of women, can tell that kind of story Uh where the husband just said, honey, I know you always handle it. It's not a big deal. And so even little things like that, how much we do for our families that our husbands don't think about unless we ask them to do it. Mm -hmm. Those things are really important. Mm -hmm. And learning those differences between us and our partners is also important. When my husband and I were in trouble and we started doing date nights, we spent a lot of our dates talking about what he wanted, what I wanted, what made him happy, what made me happy. And he was actually pretty surprised that I felt so bad. I, I'm like, how did you not notice? I'm waking up at five in the morning. So well, I didn't realize you're waking up at five in the morning. And uh so it was it just astonished me that men don't think like we do. They really don't. And I know a lot of moms listening out there are shaking their heads. They uh-huh. don't.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's one of the things, yeah, really. And and you've got to learn that by your midlife. Um you know, I I really feel in my heart that single working moms or saints because they don't have anybody to balance it out with. They have to call on family and friends. But for those of us who are married or do have partners, we have to learn to tell our partners what we need, how we're feeling, what's the problem, how they can help. Sometimes we absolutely have to spell it out or write it down. Yeah. It took me a while to learn that.
0: Yeah. And what I have found that I did, I did do that, like was more vocal about that. And now it's helping because now sometimes I don't even have to say anything and I get what I, you know, the help that I need. So I'm like, I know, I know it takes a little training, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you got to work a little for what you want. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, So, you also have written a book called So Many Babies My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. Tell us about that.
1: I wrote that book after I retired. I wanted to tell some NICU stories that were very inspiring. the babies did well, the parents were courageous. And of course I had permission from all of them, but I also wove in stories of all my motherhood adventures or misadventures as I sort of went along and, and got better at being a full-time working mother. And so the book, I hope, reassures working mothers that we all struggle to balance our work life and our family life. We all struggle to figure out how to make our marriages and our partnerships work. We all want to be perfect mothers when we start out. And then after a few years, we figure out, oh my God, I cannot be a perfect mother. I'm not here all the time. There is no way to be perfect. How to stay at home moms do it. And we figure out slowly by the time we're in our 40s, I think we figure out that we're good enough mothers. I think that working mothers figure out that because they like their work and feel fulfilled in it, because they choose to work, that makes them a better mother. And it's not harming our children to have our children cared for part of the day by someone else. It's actually teaching them to be independent. And so my definition of being a good enough mother is the working mother who is trying to balance her work life, whether or not she feels worthwhile in what she's doing, and her home life with her children and her partner. And I decided to make that book about all the mistakes that we can make getting to good enough mother. And so I intentionally I'm very vulnerable, I'm very open, I tell a lot of raw stories about challenges my kids threw at me along the way because I wanted other working mothers to say, oh man, here's this pediatrician who struggled with exactly what I'm struggling with. And that was my goal in writing the book, not just to talk about the nicu but to talk about my life being a working physician.
0: I love that. I think it's really important that we um, show the younger generation that even though, you know, we get to a certain point, we look like everything's wonderful and perfect and uh-uh, it wasn't and it's not. So um, no, they shouldn't no. feel like they have to be as well.
1: The NICU mothers, they would commonly say, you know, we'd be talking after the work was done we would be talking about an older sib doing this or that and they would say oh my 3 year olds doing this or that and oh my seven-year-old is having trouble at school and I would pipe up and say oh god my kid did that too and so many NICU moms would look at me saying really your kids have the same problems I would go yes what what where do you get this idea? Pediatricians are not perfect mothers. We're just working mothers like everybody else. Yeah. We just try to do the best we can. And so it was the NICU moms asking me questions about how I expected my kids to be perfect and me saying, wait a minute, they're not perfect. <laughs> and I'm not a perfect mom. I'm just doing the best I can like you are. Uh, I just happened to be a doctor, and it was always so fun to talk to the NICU moms and and reassure them that we're all in this kind of sisterhood together. Yeah. Even the people you sit down and have lunch with, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just so important to connect in the workplace, in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, at school, uh, at a soccer game, at a <laughs> wherever, yeah. it's um, it was hard for me to learn to do that, but once I did, I had some people to to go to, to help me, to support me, mm-hmm. and the sooner we all admit that that feels good, knowing that somebody else is in it with us,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I really settled down a lot sure, and did sure. a much better job.
0: Yeah, yeah wonderful. Well, you have shared so many wonderful messages with us today and your story and how can people find you if they'd like to learn more about you and maybe there's someone out there who wants to participate with your um, social media posts and your blog and your book. So tell us where we can find you.
1: Uh, My website is susanlandersmd.com and I have a special free checklist there for working moms. It's 21 items, it's real short, SusanLandersMD.com slash burnout. And that is a free checklist for moms to take and see if they are burned out. I've got lots of resources on my blog, resources for moms, uh, lots of topics, general pediatric topics, and access to buy my book is there. Okay. Um, so I would love it for people to just go and see if they like the checklist, see if it helps them. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, my that, social media posts are there, too. My social media okay. handles are there. Of okay.
0: All right. And we'll put everything in the show notes as well so people can see those and click on those as well. Susan, thank you so much again for being my guest. I really enjoyed this and I'm excited to uh, see what the listeners think.
1: Oh, thank you, Kim. I appreciate the invitation. It was fun talking about these issues.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, we will talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Midlife with Courage, and I hope that you've been inspired and motivated to live your amazing life. I'm Kim Benoit, and I want you to live every moment. For more inspiration and motivation, check out my website, www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can read more about my story and find links to more great information. Take care of your beautiful self, and I'll talk to you soon.